Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to quickly share, because I feel like I've already shared a little bit, but uh, it's amazing you can preach without preaching. And some people preach and they don't preach, if you know what I mean. Have you ever been sitting through a preacher that doesn't preach? <laughs> Excellent. Anyway, um, I'm going to continue, continue our series that we've been doing, Eyes Wide Shut. I have extended it for one more week. We will be doing it next week in closing then. Um, but basically, a quick overview of our Eyes Wide Shut series, which is an insight into the unseen spiritual realm. The reason I felt to share this series is because there's not been a lot of talk in and around demonic activity. And I think the reason for that is, is because of some of the excesses in the early church. Uh, I know when this church first started, there were some excesses in that regard. Um, I think also it's because we don't want to give the glory to the devil in any way, shape or form. And so largely demonic um, warfare has been silenced, which suits the devil just fine because the less we know about him, his ways, then the more he can get on doing what he always does. Uh, it's like having an alias Facebook account. Can you imagine if you could have a Facebook account that um, nobody knew who you were and you could say whatever you want? You could cause some massive damage and it would never come back to you. Well, that's how the devil operates. He loves to cause uh, trouble. He loves to put a thought in Paul O'Neill's head and then he loves to put a thought in somebody else's head and we start arguing with each other and he just rubs his hands together. He, cre- he created the carnage but he leaves people to hurt each other. He loves, loves, loves doing that. And I realise without talking about the devil, demons and demonic activity, um, all we're left to blame at the end of the day is God and that's why so many people come to the conclusion that if the- God is a God of love, why do bad things happen? Because not only is God real, but the enemy is real. The devil is real. Jesus talked about demons often. And he talked about how to handle them and what to do with demons. And so this series really is about our eyes being opened to the spiritual unseen realm that we are uh, in a battle with. And so week one, we just simply looked at uh, who the devil was. Uh, The devil was known as Lucifer. He was a fallen angel. He was... uh, the chief worshipper in heaven. And um, basically he grew tired of worshipping God and he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be on the throne of God and there was rebellion in heaven. God uh, kicked the devil out of heaven and the devil took one third of the angels with them. We know those angels as demons and God created a place for them called hell. Hell was never designed for people. It was for those fallen rebellious angels. And we looked at that in week one. You can get on our website or on our podcast and download all of those messages. Then weeks two and three, we looked at two of the key strategies, two of the key schemes the devil uses to draw God's people away from him. And the first one was temptation. We spoke about that in week two. And then Paul Benithan spoke about the accusation of the enemy last week. And that brings us to week four. And week four, I want to look at recognising when you're under a spiritual attack. And then next week, we want to look at the weapons of our warfare, how we can overcome and just deal with this once and for all. Amen. And so that's what we're going to do today. Um, And it's all about uh, us knowing the enemy, knowing his ways, knowing his schemes, um, so that we can combat him. It's not about glorifying him. 
If you feel we shouldn't even be talking about the devil, if you feel that we shouldn't even be giving him any credit whatsoever, I appreciate the sentiment behind that statement, but it's ultimately not going to train and equip us as God's people in knowing how to deal with him. We can't just put our head in the sand. It's like parents, when your kids become teenagers, you can't, just, you can't just not talk about sex. You can't talk about the opposite sex. You can't not talk about those things because you know what? They will find out other ways. And if we don't talk about the devil, if we don't talk about demons, if we don't talk about demonic activity, uh, they will find out about those things other ways. And there is a very real interest in the supernatural. That's, you've only got to watch the television to know that. So many of our television shows and movies have supernatural themes because people are interested in the supernatural. People are interested in a world that is unseen. And if we can't teach on these things in the church, where can you teach on them? If you can't teach on sex in the church, where can you teach on it? If we don't teach on sex, they're going to find out behind the shelter shed at school. And nothing good comes from behind the shelter shed at school. Let me tell you. All right. So uh, we're just going to get it in front of the shelter shed this morning. All right. All right. So um, I want to look at some of the areas that the devil attacks us. And again, just starting with Ephesians chapter 6, it's a... uh, portion of scripture that I've read every time that we've come together in and around this series. And it simply says, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, our struggle, in other words, as a Christian, you will have struggles, is not against flesh and blood. It's not against your pastor. It's not against your brother or sister or mother or father or wife or husband or children. And that seems to be where we have the most arguments, but it's actually not the real struggle. There's a demonic activity going on that's feeding and festering those arguments. And so Paul says here, it's against rulers and against authorities, against powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly realms. Basically, what the devil wants to do for you is squeeze the life out of you. Remember when God in the beginning of time with Adam, he breathed his life into Adam. God has breathed his life into every human being on this planet. And the the devil is preoccupied with squeezing the life of God out of you. And he acts like that snake that I had in week one that wants to wrap himself around you and just constrict you until you feel like you can't breathe. You feel like the weight of the world is caving in on you. And without a show of hands, who here has ever felt like that? Where you feel like the world is caving in you. You feel like Chicken Little, that the sky is falling. And you feel like you can't breathe and your chest is tight. I want to suggest that maybe, just maybe, that not all of that is natural. Now, can I just say this off the bat? These areas that the enemy wants to attack us can also be natural. So we're not about blaming the devil for everything. But there are some very real areas that the devil will attack you. And I want to identify them this morning so that we can just put it out there that actually what we're thinking, what we're feeling may actually be a demonic attack as opposed to my time is up. I've had enough. Maybe I should move on. Maybe I should leave my husband. Maybe I should leave my wife. Maybe I'm just not needed here in this church anymore. And all those uh, thoughts that come when you're under demonic attack. Amen? And so we've got a few to get through this morning. And so I'm going to quickly launch into our very first one. And the first one is simply uh, a spiritual attack. It's quite obvious. This this is very simple this morning, uh, but I hope it's profound nonetheless. A spiritual attack. When you begin to have a loss of spiritual desire. 
It never ceases to amaze me that people come to church for the first time. They give their life to Jesus. And they're just so excited. They come to everything. They can't get enough. They're down the front. And then over time, that desire is diminished. Can I suggest that you may be under a spiritual attack if your spiritual desire is diminishing? I remember as a 19-year-old being in the church that Paul Benithan was leading at the time and this couple who I loved and appreciated, they were 32. They were old. When you're 19, 32 and older is just old. It's quite young for me now on this side of the coin. But uh, at that age, I was looking at these old people and I thought, man, where's all your joy gone? Where's all your passion gone? And I challenged them on it. That's what I do. That's kind of my little thing. I like challenging people. It's kind of biblical. Anyway, I remember going to them and saying, what, 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 why, why are you just so, why are you so lukewarm? And they said this to me, oh, you wait till you're our age. You wait till you get a mortgage. I got a mortgage. You, you wait till you have kids. You wait, you wait, you wait. And it was, this, it was just this demonic thought just to try and cause me to settle down. And I, I'm not suggesting this was the best thing to do, but I couldn't help myself. I pointed my finger in their face and said, I will never be like you. Which could fall in the arrogant category, I know. But I recognise there was something more than just people having a conversation. There was a spirit behind those words trying to stifle the life of God, try to stifle the excitement and the passion and the energy. And I just made a bold call, I'll never be like you. And you know what? I got to 32 and I was nothing like them. I'm nothing like them at 45. I'm just, I'm never gonna be like them because they made a choice to get under the devil's schemes and just give up and give in. And I want to suggest this morning, if you're not as passionate about the things of God as when you first came to God, maybe, just maybe, you're under a spiritual attack. Hey, look, I think we get wiser as we get older. That's certainly what's meant to happen. But we shouldn't lose our passion. We shouldn't lose our zeal. It might look different, but we shouldn't lose our passion. And it never ceases to amaze me. that it's, it's really, I find it really hard to get in some God conversations with Christians. Because there's just not the spiritual passion anymore for those things. Even in trying to give God the glory for my recent operation, among Christians, it was the hard, the non-Christians, they were really interested. Wow, that's miraculous. Christians use, non-Christians use language like, wow, that's miraculous. Christians said to me, oh, well, you must have had a good surgeon. Well, I just told you I did. I said that. Well, you know, you are fitter and younger than most. Remember when I stood up here last week and I said all the things... That's because Christians challenge me with all of those things as if I don't appreciate the doctors, as if I don't appreciate the hospital and the staff, as if I don't recognise that I am younger and fitter and better looking and, 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 and overall awesome in many areas. I get that. I acknowledge all of that. But tell me, I want to tell you what, when you cut me, I bleed. And to not have the pain and to have the supernatural recovery, that is miraculous. And trying to encourage Christians with that has been really hard for me. Maybe, maybe it's because we're under a spiritual attack that we've lost our desire, we've lost our passion for the things of God. In Psalm 42 verse 1, it says, As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Many of you as newborn Christians can remember those days, but those days should never be lost. I've been a Christian for 30 years and I'm more passionate about the things of God than ever before. With a new hip, we've had some disappointments along the way. We've seen some people we love leave. 
We've had some disappointments in our family. We've had some things not go our way. But you know what? In spite of all of that, I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that He loves me. Oh, it's just amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. And in light of eternity, when we see God face to face and we live with Him 10,000, 100,000, a gazillion years. I mean, these are, these are just light and momentary troubles. Or as the message puts it, small potatoes. I love that. Small potatoes. Oh, that's crazy. You know, when Jesus um, went to the temple on one occasion, uh, in actual fact, it was on two occasions that have been recorded. He saw people just turning church into something that he shouldn't be. And he was indignant. And uh, he went away and he made a whip. This was like a premeditated act of violence. It wasn't just out of control. It wasn't just he lost it, he snapped. He did not snap. He went away and thought about it. He went away and saw that the people were turning church into anything but what God intended it to be. He went away, he made a whip. <laughs> I mean, there's plenty of time for the Father in heaven to say, what are you doing, Jesus? Jesus put the whip down. <laughs> Move away from the whip, Jesus. He Jesus never sinned. This was not just a, 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 a crazy loss of control. He went away, he thought about it. It takes time to make a whip. Have you ever made a whip? Have you ever made a kangaroo tail with a, with a towel? Come on, young people, you need to be educated in the things of this world. You, you know when you get a towel, you're at the beach, and you roll it so it looks like a kangaroo tail, and then you whip people with it. But before you do that, you, whip, you, you wet the end. That doesn't take long, but it takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of time. Enough time for you to calm down and say, this is stupid, someone's going to lose an eye. <laughs> but you think about it. Jesus went away and made a whip. Now granted, a lot of that would have been for getting rid of the cattle and the things that were being sold. But I just wonder if one or two people got in the way. I don't know. I don't know. But this is what I do know. It's recorded in John chapter 2. It says, He made a whip out of cords and drove all of them out of the temple courts, both the sheep and the cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Middle Eastern people and their love and ability to make money. These were, these were sharp businessmen. And Jesus just goes and turns over the tables. I mean, this, this takes an act of strength. And he says, to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. It says this, then his disciples, remembered it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The disciples did not think, oh, he's been a naughty boy. He's not the Messiah. He's just a naughty, naughty boy. They didn't think that. They said, wow, this is what zeal for God's house looks like. A passionate love for the Father's house. They said, wow. And, and his actions reminded them of what was written. Zeal for my house will consume me. When's the last time you did something that reminded people that you are zealous for the things of God? Just a thought. And the great thing about this is the two occasions that we see Jesus did this, one was at the beginning of his ministry and the other time it's recorded at the end of his ministry. He never lost the zeal for his father's house. 
If you get to 80, we should be making kangaroo tails and whipping people. We should be doing that. We should not become less passionate about the things of God the older we get. Because the older we get, it's more reading, it's more understanding, it's more insight. And we should be more passionate. I'm not less passionate for the things of God today than I was when I was a 19-year-old. I'm more passionate. And that's the way it should be. Amen. So number one, our spirit attack. Secondly, a physical attack. When you find yourself physically exhausted, you may be under a spiritual attack. The devil's job is to wear you down. He wants to wear you out. He wants to cause you to be so full of stress and anxiety that you just want to give up and give in. In 1 Kings chapter 19, it talks about a man by the name of Elijah. Elijah was an incredible prophet used by God. He'd just come off the back of an incredible victory over 400 false prophets. And it says this, Elijah was afraid. Why was he afraid? Because the king and the queen of that time said, if Elijah is alive by the end of this day, then I will no longer be king and queen. They were out to get him. He just had the greatest victory of his life. You would have thought he would have just been full of of, uh, confidence, but he was exhausted. He was just physically tired. And when he was physically tired, he wasn't thinking right. And he went from faith to fear in 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 a moment. And he said his fear caused him to be afraid. And he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah... He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and he came to a broom bush, broom bush uh, sat under it and prayed that he might die. I mean, like this is the guy that stood before 400 false prophets and declared, this is the God of the universe. I mean, he was so full of confidence. He was even sarcastic with them. Because these 400 prophets were calling down fire from heaven to their God and nothing was happening. And Elijah was saying, hey, maybe your God's on the toilet. Shout a bit louder. And they just started shouting louder. And then they started cutting themselves. Shout louder. Maybe he's on the toilet. Maybe he's indisposed. Maybe he can't hear you. And then Elijah Wets the sacrifice, makes it harder for God to burn the offering and the fire from heaven falls. Incredible. And all the prophets of Baal put to death. Incredible victory. And here he is now. Take me, I want to die. How many of you honestly, please don't show me your hands, at some time or another, I just want to die. I've had enough. It's over. I can't do it anymore. I have. I do it every Monday, actually. (laughs) It's called Monday-itis, I think. I just, you know, it happens. In actual fact, if there's a person that I've never felt like that, I'd say you're probably only about three years of age. That's why. <laughs> if you're older than three, you've probably had a moment or two like that. Because the devil wants to suck the life out of you. He wants to take the breath of God from you. And he wants to do it however he can and whenever he can. And he wants to get us so physically exhausted, like with Elijah here. And he wants to attack us when we're most vulnerable. It was after a great victory for Elijah. Maybe for you, it's after a promotion. You know, it's interesting. I'm riding to the World Cup at the moment and I've been watching the soccer and it's interesting, the teams that have gone down when they went 1-0 up. It's amazing. You get ahead, you have a bit of a victory and then all of a sudden, you're just not ready for the attack. And there's this counter-attack. 
And some great teams have lost having been one up already in this competition. And I prophesy that will happen again and again in this competition. Amen? Anyway. <laughs> Amen. Anyway, getting back to the things of God. Um, <laughs> when was Jesus tempted by the devil? After he got the promotion from heaven. This is my son whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. It's like, wow, the voice from heaven. God spoke. Many of you say, only God would speak to me. This is what happened. God spoke to his son, Jesus. This is my son whom I love. Whenever we do God's voice, it always sounds like he's got a nasal problem, doesn't it? It just does. I don't know. Anyway, but it's in our attempt to, I don't know why we do that. Anyway, um, but anyway, this is my son whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. And at that moment, he goes straight in the desert and gets tempted by the devil. When, when, when you're at your best, often you get that attack. That's what happened here with Elijah. And then it says of Elijah, an angel had to visit him. An angel visits him. What you need to understand is that we are triune beings. We're not just spirit beings. In actual fact, the Holy Spirit will kill you. Because he has no limits. We do. And if you just hunger after the things of God and hunger after the Holy Spirit, you'll die. Because you can't keep up with him. Because we live in a body of flesh. We are triune beings. We are a spirit that owns a soul that lives in a body. And we have to look after our soul. We have to look after our body. And it's amazing to me that this angelic visitation happens in Elijah's life. And it says that once, this is 1 Kings 19 verse 5, at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread that he baked over the hot coals and a jar of water. This angel visits him and doesn't give him a revelation. He actually bakes a cake. He actually does a master chef moment, bakes some bread and says, eat. Sometimes we want a revelation and we're just going to do the practical things. He says, eat and drink and sleep. And so that's exactly what he does. He eats, he drinks and he goes back to sleep. He's so exhausted, he can't even get excited about the angelic visitation. I mean, let's be honest. How many of you would like an angel to visit you? It'd be cool. He gets, this, and he gets this moment that most of us would kill for. And he goes, oh, he's exhausted. And that happens again. Now, eat, drink, and sleep. And that's what he does. And then he gets his energy back. And then he travels 40 days again. Because we live in a body and we've got to look after our body. You've got to look after your body. It never wants to wear you out. And people who get burnt out, we often blame our bosses, we blame our situations, we blame our churches. But you know what? We're responsible for our bodies. So can I just say this? Our spirit is, our ter- is eternal, but we live in a physical body. So watch what you eat. Let's be honest. When you're under pressure, your eating gets better or worse. I mean, we all love chocolate all the time, but we love it more when things are bad. They're comfort foods. Our eating always gets worse, and you're responsible for eating well when the pressure's on. Just know that, you know, just, don't just see it as, I'm just going to just eat myself. Just have some discipline. Put some boundaries in place. 
Stop blaming everyone. If you don't look after your body, no one else will. You've got to look after your body. They say that muffins were designed so that people wouldn't feel guilty about eating cake in the morning. Watch what you do. Not only what you eat, but watch what you do in those moments. What you watch on the internet, television in those moments. And watch where you go. Watch where you go when you're emotionally low. In Isaiah 40, verse 29, it says, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. If young people grow tired and weary, how much more us middle-aged to older people? It's, it's inevitable. We're going to grow tired. Yeah. And what we do in those moments is all important. If we keep pushing it, if we keep eating bad food, we're going to give up on the things of God just because we didn't look after our bodies. Yeah. Amen? You don't have to become a gym junkie, but you do have to look after your body. Thirdly, a soul attack. When your soul feels so overwhelmed with the circumstances, you may be under a spiritual attack. Your mind, will and emotions are overwhelmed by the circumstances. Circumstance is made up of two words uh, that mean to circle and to stand. In other words, when you are standing and encircled by issues. When you feel like, what's the use? There's no way out. I want to give up. I want to give in. And when you feel like that, you're in danger of going back to your old ways. This is like one of the obvious things for me. When people start going back to what they used to do. People who used to smoke that don't, they go back to smoking. People who used to do drugs but don't, now they go back to doing drugs. People who used to do a certain job, they, now they go back to their old job. Their old passions, their own old desires. We see that with Peter. Peter was told that he would disown Jesus three times. Can I stand up? He was told that he would disown Jesus three times. He said, no way. Me and you, we're tight. I mean, there's no way on earth that I'm going to disown you. This lot maybe, not me. We tight. Me and you, Jesus. Remember Peter the Rock and all that stuff? Tight. Jesus, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, long story short, Peter, under pressure, denies Jesus. Not once, not twice, but thrice. Three times he denies Jesus. He's gutted. He weeps bitterly. What does he do? Goes back to what he used to do. He was a fisherman. Jesus said, let that go. You used to be a fisherman. You used to be Simon. Now you're Peter. I'm going to make you catch men, not fish. Where do we find Peter next? Fishing. The temptation when our soul is under attack is to go back to what we used to do instead of pressing through in what we are presently in. It's the greatest strategy or one of the greatest strategies of the enemy just to get us to go back. And it makes sense. Well, I was good at that. No, no, that's just comfort food. It's comfort job. It's comfort desires. It's comfort things. God has taken us out of to bring us into. See, what happened with the majority of the Israelites is they came out of Egypt, but they never went into the promise of land because they hankered for what was back in Egypt and they died in the middle. Many people are dying in the middle because there's a demonic attack against them and they're not smart enough to recognise what it is. This morning, we are not here blaming the devil. We're not here to give him glory. We're here to expose him so that when you're feeling like this, you can recognise what it is. If you know how he worked, then you'll know what he'll do today. Amen. Is that all right? Number four, a lack attack. You may have your resources all dry up at once. 
It's when your car, have you ever had those situations where your car breaks down? And, and then the washing machine breaks down. And then the water heater breaks down. Have you ever, there was just a, a string of things. Again, I, I think when that's happening, you could be under a spiritual attack. Sometimes something just happens, it just happens. Sometimes it just happens. Do you know what I'm saying? It just happens. And, um, but there are other times where it's a demonic attack to distract you from the things of God to the things of money. Because when you're under attack or when you're under a lack of attack, what do you start thinking about? Money. Things, repayments, paying back. And the first thing that wants to go is our giving to God. And you just got to recognise what it is. It's amazing to me. I've never broken a screen on my phone ever, 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 ever. Have I ever dropped my phone? Yes, heaps. There was one time I was out the front of the church here. I dropped my phone. I went to put my foot under it to stop it falling. But as I did, I kicked it. So I went, Boom. And I just thought it was like it was like a 40 meter drop punt straight through the goals, hit the ground, bang, 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 bang. I ran to it. Oh my god, nothing. So can you imagine how surprised I was, having dropped it so many times, that I walk in my house, had my hands full, I, I try to open the door, and I kid you not, the phone was about 18 inches off the ground. I dropped it, and I thought I'll pick it up later, no big deal. When I picked it up, it was shattered. I couldn't believe it. And then like one thing after the other just started going wrong recently for me. And then one of our illustrious helpers was trying to help me up on stage uh, with the pulpit as they do. And, and my iPad falls off and smashes in the same week that my phone smashes. And I'm thinking, I wonder if I can even read the thing. Otherwise, it's going to be a heck of a preach tonight. <laughs> and it was, it was shattered. And it's like one thing after another. I've learned to know what that is. Not to blame, not to cry, not to you know, cry over spillment, but just to recognise what it is. And we pray a little bit more fervently, we pray a bit more specifically. When, when your resources dry up. Um, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. This lack attack is a direct result of the enemy to try and get your thoughts off God and onto things and money and provision. And where will it come from? And where's it going to stop? It'll stop. I don't know when, but it'll stop. Number five, a prayer attack. When you lack motivation to pray. See, at the Last Supper, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, the devil has sought to sift you. Peter didn't quite understand what that meant, but he said it nonetheless. And it was after the Last Supper they went to pray. Jesus said, I'm going to pray. I want you to pray for me. You wait here. I'll go over there. He came back and what were they all doing? Sleeping. Jesus wanted them to pray. But they all fell asleep. Why? Because their prayer was under attack. How many of you have ever wanted to pray? I'm going to pray up a storm. And you're like, you have the best intentions. And you're like, and you just fall asleep. How many of you have done that? Be honest, I have. How many of you thought, I'm going to pray up a storm? And then, oh, that reminds me. Today's the last day before registration. It's amazing the things you think of when you're about to pray. I, I just better write that down before I forget it. Actually, there's something else I remember. The distractions that come your way when we're called to pray. That's what happened to Peter. He just fell asleep. But what happened when the army came or the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, Peter, having not prayed, operates out of his natural thinking, his carnal ways, and pulls out a sword. Jesus did talk about swords, but prayer brings a discernment of what Jesus meant when he said, 
what he said. See, it's not enough just to know what Jesus said because Jesus in and of himself contradicts himself. We need prayer to understand what he meant, what he said, that, and what context was he speaking into. And prayer brings that discernment and that wisdom. And so Peter, he's, he's tired, he's just woken up. There's these soldiers coming and he's like, oh, what did Jesus say? The last thing I can remember, oh, swords or something. Yes, he pulls out a sword, cuts off some guy's ear. He's not trying to cut off his ear. He's trying to cut off his head. He can't even do that right. He misses, gets his ear. Jesus picks up the ear and says, ear, ear, Pete. Pits it on and all the rest of it. <laughs> People have been here at Victory going, oh, here he goes again, ear, ear, all right. But the first time visitors, they loved that. That was amazing. Anyway... Um, <laughs> Why did Peter act poorly? Because he wasn't prayed up. It never ceases to amaze me how long-term Christians act so carnally. And all I can say, we're just not prayed up. We just operate out of how we feel. Peter felt tired, he fell asleep. Peter felt angry, he cut someone's ear off. We operate out of our feelings instead of faith. And faith comes through prayer. Amen? And so when our prayer is under attack. Now, there are disciplines to prayer. You can't just blame the devil. We've got to get a discipline of prayer. We've got to make a time. We've got to have a place. We've got to, we've got to pray and have a time and place where we do that. But even with the most disciplined person, from time to time, you're going to come, that prayer is going to come under attack. Kath and I go for a walk every morning, and the desire is to talk and to pray. And sometimes we start talking, and we find ourselves, we've finished our walk. And we're like, Do we even pray? I know we argued. <laughs> But do we pray? It's amazing. Let's not be unaware of how the enemy works. Um, and my last one is simply this. as a band come up. A relational attack. When you pull away from godly relationships, the strategy of the enemy is this, to divide and conquer. He wants you alone. In the very beginning of time, God created Adam and said, it's not good that man be alone. That's what the devil's trying to get ever since, get you alone. God said it's not good that man be alone and God wants to get you alone. The devil wants to destroy you by separating you. Your destiny is dependent on your company. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, let us, uh, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we will die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are arrogant of God or ignorant of God. I say this to shame you. We had a friend through recently from New Zealand, Scott Thornton. He was just with us midweek and he spoke to our leaders and he said this, who's pruning you? Who have you invited into your life to prune you? Because no one prunes himself. It's too painful. Jesus said he'll cut down trees that are not fruitful, but fruitful trees he'll prune. Either way, whether you are fruitful or not, you will be cut. But no one cuts himself. It's just too painful. You will not put the restrictions on, upon yourself. Very few will put the restrictions upon themselves. You need people to help you. Now, now I, can't, I can't make you accountable. Only you can make yourself accountable. So who are you making yourself accountable to? Paul was addressing these people. He says, you've heard it said, eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we may die. Come on, come back to your senses. I say this to shame you. Now, did he, was he not loving them at that moment? Of course he was. He was loving them. It didn't seem like love because this kind of love is so rare, it's not funny. And when we find ourselves pulling away from people like that who love us that much, we just don't want, we just don't want that. You may be under a spiritual attack because it doesn't make sense to pull away from godly people like that who can help you 
And so we've got to be wise. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You know, the uh, Californian redwood tree is the largest tree in the world. But interestingly enough, it has the shortest or the shallowest root system. It doesn't go deep, they go wide. It doesn't make sense that a tree that is some 300 foot tall with a root system that only goes down about three foot can stand. But here's the only way they stand is because they are close together and their root systems touch other root systems. Effectively, they hold each other up. Most trees, whatever you see outside is what you see, uh, is what you don't see. If a tree is 70 foot tall, there's 70 foot deep of root system, but not with the redwood. But it finds its strength in being connected to other redwood trees. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 